Welcome to Social Capital Expert, a show where we discover the value of social capital and how cultivating strategic relationships is critical to our success. In each episode, your host, Sarah Francis McDaniel, will explore the stories of fascinating people from all over the world to better understand how their ability to build relationships has led to their success. We will uncover tips, tricks, and practical ways that you too can become a social capital expert. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have this week's guest, Stacey Todman. Stacey, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. I'm excited. This is a topic I care a lot about. I'm super excited. I know. I'm excited to hear some of the things that you have to tell us about how you feel about social capital and its relevance in your life. And before we get going there, will you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Stacey Tavern, founder and CEO of Rice Collaborative Workspace, which opened in St. Louis in 2017 and expanded to Denver in 2019. We are both a workspace and community for professional women. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to get into that a little bit more here too, but before we do, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of background. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a wild ride because I would have never predicted five years ago that I would be owning you know, a company in two cities and thinking about expansion and all that fun stuff. I was actually a high school math teacher for 14 oh. years, or sorry, for 12 years. High school math teacher, uh, yeah, and my degree in math, a big nerd at heart, and do not have my MBA. And the only business class I've ever taken was Business 123, which is a funny name to me, um, at Mizzou, which is where I went to undergrad. And so when thinking about having this multi-city business uh, and being the owner, it's, it's kind of wild to think that this was even possible. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So how did you get started? What, what were, did, were you passionate about? I mean, after math, teaching math, how did you, how'd you jump? I know, this? right? It's kind of a weird jump. Um, so in, well, I was one of those people that didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up, right? So I remember sitting in college, I'm going to back it up to college for a minute, but I won't okay. stay long, I promise. Yeah, but I can remember funny. sitting in one of my math classes and daydreaming and thinking, you know, I either want to be a CEO of some company or I want to be the principal by the time I'm 28 of the school, which, you know, I now chuckle as a CEO who actually knows what it means, chief executive officer, right? I didn't even know what that term meant. I just knew boss, right? And clearly I was a wildly ambitious person from a very young age. Uh, and so I decided to go with uh, becoming a principal by the time I was 28. So right out of college, I got my master's in administration and interned in a principal's office at like 24, 25, which now I kind of laugh at myself because I don't know what you were like at 25 or 24. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that I was fit to be a principal. <laughs> I sure wasn't. You know, I, the students are 17 to 18 years old. You know, and I'm barely an adult, <laughs> and then there's teachers that are double my age, and somehow I'm supposed to tell them how to do it, right? And so you can only imagine how that went and how I felt about it. So um, I ultimately left that experience thinking, you know, being a principal is not for me. But what the heck am I going to do with my life? I like teaching, but I didn't love it. So I went back and got my master's in school counseling. I thought, you know, I want to be the good guy. I want to talk about life. I want to help people figure out, you know, what they want to be. They say you need to teach what you need to figure out, right? So here <laughs> right. I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to be. I want to help other people. Um, but that master's took me quite a bit more time and money. Um, and we know where that's going, considering I'm sitting here today as a business owner. <laughs> um, I interned yet again. The lesson takeaway from this is intern before you go to get your master's. But okay. um, I, I interned 
at like 31, 32 and realized yet again, I'd done it, you know, I'd done it again. You know, master, uh, a counselor in a school setting is great, but you're not doing what I thought you were doing. You know, those conversations with the kids, helping them figure out who they are and what they want to be, that's maybe 5% of your job. Yeah. You know, it's more about credit checking and schedule checking. And so here I am after two masters and two undergraduate degrees, because my degree is in math and math education. I'm sort of floundering at life, right? Like, I'm like, oh, now what? Um, life is not looking like what I thought it would look like. And, you know, life has a funny way of sending you some really loud messages. Sometimes they're not so great. Yeah. And the year, uh, July 4th, 2012, a young woman at my school actually died by suicide. She hung herself at our best friend's party. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you can imagine the shock and awe of that. Um, I didn't know her, but her sister had been on my palm squad. I had pushed the palm squad and I knew her family and I knew her friends and it, you know, something like that shocks you to your core. Um, and for me, that was a tipping point. Enough's enough. High school yeah. sucks. I mean, some people had an okay high school experience, but for most girls and boys, high school is really tough. And so yeah. what can I do? to help them. So that last school year, 2012, 2013, I decided I was going to somehow start some company, you know, to help high school girls. So January, 2013, I started my very first company while teaching full-time and it was called Girls Dreaming Big. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing and I would just stand up and teach math and then the girls would surround me, the juniors and seniors, my target market. And I would say, you know, what can I create? What do you need? How can I support you? How can I make high school suck a little less? <laughs> <laughs> right? And I had the good fortune of having enough success out of the gate that I left education at the end of that year to give this a try. Okay. So it was awesome except for I sort of crashed and burned. I don't know if crashed and burned. That might be a little dramatic. But I really struggled with the transition going from having a place to work and having coworkers and friends to working from home. I hated it. I, you know, all of us are experiencing, you know, COVID is sort of giving a lot of us a taste of what it's like to work from home. Yeah. Um, and it's tough, right? It's tough, especially when you're scared and you're doing something new or you're facing a tough experience you know, it can be really isolating and lonely and paralyzing. And I experienced all of that. And so I, I had to get off the couch. <laughs> but I was doing a lot of Netflixing. You know, I think yeah. it should be a verb, which I, yet again, during COVID, got to experience as well. Um, you know, my salary from being a teacher was going to die in August. And here in June, I mean, Netflix are best friends. So come July, to get myself off the couch and try to figure out how to do this, I started interviewing smart, strong, successful women in St. Louis. Okay. And, you know, at that time, I didn't know business. Now I know I was doing a lot of qualitative market research. At the time, <laughs> I just thought, these women are really cool. I want to talk to them. And, you know, I am one of those all-in kind of people. So I look back a year after I did that, and I interviewed 300 women. Wow. Talk about building social capital. I did not yeah. know that term at the time, um, but social capital is why – and that experience and that qualitative market research is what led me down this path to want to start a different company. You know, yeah. I realized that these incredible women I was meeting, they were just like me. They had this passion for giving back to the next generation. They want to make a difference, right? They want to connect with like-minded, amazing women. And coffee shops are great, but they sure do get old really fast. And right. so those three things led me to think, there's something here. I need to create a space 
a community for women that um, can provide those things. And that yeah. was the idea that that's what led me to start Rice Collaborative. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about what Rice Collaborative is so that those that don't know can understand? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I had the idea at the end of 2014 and it took me till 2017 to open my first location. Cause like I said, I have no business degree. I don't have an MBA. What do I know about opening up a workspace? you know, a collaborative workspace, uh, we open with 6,000 square feet. That's a big undertaking, right? I know you're in the construction industry, you know, kind yeah. of, and, uh, you know, learning how to build that out, what kind, even like the light temperature. I had no idea that, you know, LED lights, how do I, you know, three, yeah. 3,500 or whatever number we did. You know, there's all these lessons that I had to learn off the backs of other people. And so what we are, uh, we're a community of just ambitious, awesome women that care about giving back to the next generation. We put on a lot of programming for that, for our women, and we're a physical location, right? Okay. You know, it's funny when I opened, I thought it was all about the location, the space. Because for me, it was. I needed to get out of my house. I wanted a place to go to work every day. So for me, it was about the workspace. But what was interesting is a year in, I had 200 members. Wow. We now are almost at 300, but you know, a year and having 200 members, 6,000 square feet, and it's still having some times where it was really empty. I would have these panics of like, do they not like my space? You know, yeah. do they not like my membership? What's going on? You know, but what I realized a year in is it wasn't for them. It wasn't all about the space, right? It was about our programming. It was about being around like-minded women. It was about giving back to the next generation. We have a mentor program connecting high school girls to our members. Cool. And so that was a big learning for me because uh, I thought it was going to be all about the workspace. And thank goodness, especially given the changing markets, yeah. <laughs> thank goodness that it, our community is so much more than a workspace. And so we expanded to Denver. Uh, we doubled in size because although it is about the community, we put on events really well. Companies like Warby Parker, Nicole Miller, um, large accounting firms, large, you know, large companies pay us to put on events because we do it well. So we're kind awesome. of an experiential marketing company wrapped up into a co-working company, which I know is confusing. But here's the thing. I have a community of incredible women and people want access to those women. Yeah. So, and, we're, and we are a trusted resource. So um, we have 11,000 square feet in Denver. We opened in April of 2019, and uh, we're heading towards 200 members. So wow. it's crazy to go from one location to two locations, and all of this from a former high school math teacher with no business degree. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations, and way to Thank just go you. for it and make it happen. <laughs> That's super cool. Well, I um, wouldn't be here without social capital. You know, one of the biggest predictors to success in business is access to social capital. And that same research shows that women and minorities have access to less and different social capital. So one of our things, one of the things we're passionate about at Rise is creating access to that social capital for women. And, and how do you do that? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, when I think, I don't know how you think about social capital, yeah. but I think about it as, you know, when you're starting off or you're doing anything, it's being connected to the right people. Back in the day, you know, people were doing on the golf courses and the strip clubs and the bars and all these places that, not that women can't be, and they are becoming 
in those places more, not the strip clubs necessarily, <laughs> um, but you know, it was very male dominated, right? And the way that women build connections is different, right? Yeah. Um, and they often juggle many hats, right? They're often, not always, but they're often the caregiver. So they're not able to be at the bars in the evening. They're not able to do the things that, the, that have been done in the past, right? Yeah. So having a very intentional network like we do, where I can connect them. We have a back-end portal where it's like a back-end LinkedIn for my members. We can see who's doing what and connect with them. Um, we very intentionally make introductions. And then some of it is unintentional, right? When you're going to programming and you have a room full of 30 women, um, we make them do introductions and then you can't help but want to talk to people, right? Yeah. So some of it's very intentional and some of it's unintentional, but it's just the nature of our business that we're building a community of really impressive women from all different industries and walks of life. And so when someone is looking for an accountant or a lawyer or, you know, whatever those services and needs are, when they're looking for them, we have them and they share common core values. And so it's a trusted resource. Absolutely. That's huge. And you've said this, I wrote it down, the trusted resource um, a few times. And I think that's such a <laughs> huge piece of what it is when it comes to building social capital. It's really just that trust in a big way. And then also re being a resource in a big way. And that's obviously yeah, absolutely. A, a big piece of you, uh, of what you believe in the philosophy you've built this business on. What brought you to Denver? Why Denver from St. Yeah, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, you know, it's funny. I had never been in Colorado, anywhere in Colorado, prior to February 2018. So wow. to set foot in February 2018 and open our doors in April 2019 was kind of a, in retrospect, a crazy idea. <laughs> but I, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, you know, so in St. Louis, we are in an area called Clayton, which is a little bit like Cherry Creek in Denver. Okay. So it was about finding a city that had a similar dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, because we believe the location is a little bit of our secret to our success. One of our core values is professional polish, okay. right? So where are women going to care about that, you know? Yeah. Or the Nordstrom's of co-working. So, yeah. you know, that, so looking for an environment that fits the Nordstrom's of co-working, if you will. And so we were looking to be in Cherry Creek, which we are just right outside of Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek ends at 6, we're at 7. Okay. Um, so cl as close as I could get. Um, <laughs> you know, an interesting statistic. So our target market, look, w our core value is diversity. We have as young as 24, as old as 74, uh, everything in between. You know, we have everything from startup to CEO of a $500 million company. And the reason for that is because of my, my whole why. I want a high school girl to say, I want to be X. And I need X in my community. So how do I attract women from all walks of life that are going to value my community, right? Yeah. Now, that's in terms of like the community aspect, our programming. But when you think about people who need a workspace, they tend to be uh, business owners who have no employees, uh, people who work remote. And my, my new thing that I'm really going to be focusing on post-COVID, so if any corporate America is listening, <laughs> you know, is really corporate. If you think about it now, because of COVID, um, companies are realizing that their, their people can work from home, right? Yeah. And working from home for a lot of women is a really wonderful option because it provides flexibility. But what I've found is even if you enjoy working from home, it's really nice to get out of your office or out office, out of your house, get dressed, shower, look cute, <laughs> you know, once a week. Yeah. Right. They, there's a lot of studies to show that having a place to go to work once a week to connect with humans, you know, to yeah. focus 
um, really helps with productivity. So when you think about those three target markets, um, Denver, interestingly enough, has 88,000 women business owners with no employees. Wow. Yes. I can't quote corporate, right? I haven't dug into the corporate and remote's a little bit harder. And corporate and remote sound like um, the same thing. Um, in some ways they are, but I'm meaning it differently. Remote are companies that already were having people work remote, like Google or LinkedIn, you know, yeah. these tech jobs. When I say corporate, we're going to go into corporate companies, you know, let's say a U.S. bank, hypothetically, and say, U.S. bank, you know, you... 20 of your people can come be members, you know, so selling kind of a package versus the yeah. individual. It's kind of how we're thinking. That's our plan post COVID, you know, awesome. focusing on those three target markets. Um, but yeah. And so Denver has quite a large population of business owners with no employees, 88,000. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and so I could give you a ton more pr uh, professional reasons, but I'll just give you one more reason. Personally, I, knew I was going to struggle on scaling and growing. I, I knew that I knew enough to get something open through brute force. Yeah. But I didn't know, we didn't have the processes and systems to be able to scale into a brand new city and me phoning it in, so to speak, from St. Louis. So I knew that I was essentially going to have to move wherever we went. Um, and my husband, who was going to be moving with me, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, he was already coming to Denver for skiing and things like that. So from a quality of life standpoint, who doesn't want to live in Denver? Right? Right? So, That's what I thankfully, the business reasons were there to prop me up. But uh, there was definitely some personal components to it as well. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And welcome to Denver. Uh, you've been here <laughs> I love living a while, there. But yeah, yeah. welcome. Are you, uh, are you in Denver now for doing this COVID stuff? No, you so I split my time between Denver and St. Louis. I have an apartment okay. in Denver. I have an apartment in St. Louis. Our family is here in St. Louis. So okay. uh, we did come back to St. Louis to hunker down for a bit, but we yeah. are about to drive back to Denver here shortly. So come, you know, mid-May, I will be back in Denver. Awesome. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing you back in Denver once we get past all this COVID stuff. Um, yes. You know, there's a few things that you were, you touched on. One of them was that you, when you were interviewing these 300 women and talking to these 300 women, you were, began to identify needs. And that's really mm -hmm. where that opportunity kind of stemmed from. You saw the opportunity based on the needs that you were seeing. Do you think that that's, um, you know, kind of how you've been successful is by just being able to listen to the needs or what do you think drives some of that like ability to sort of see the opportunity? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say absolutely. I think building social capital, we were talking before the show, so to speak, you know, I do a lot of keynotes on building social capital and the value of social capital. Look, I have no MBA. I didn't have a dime to my name when I started this, you know, how does someone like me learn something like this? It's, by building your social capital. At this point, I've interviewed 3,000 people. You know, my problem is I work harder, not smarter, which I'm <laughs> working on shifting. I don't recommend this long term. You know, we are now working to get systems and processes, but when you're starting a business or really anything in life, you know, listening to people. Yeah, to your point, you know, these women are the women I want to be around. I mean, being around crazy, successful, amazing, inspiring women, you know, we live by the quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It's a Jim Rohn quote. And it's really at the foundation of everything we do at Rise. Who you surround yourself with really shapes your, your view of what's possible and what, you know, what you can accomplish. And so these women really inspired me and I wanted to create something that would attract 
them to me. You know, I want to spend time yeah. with them. And so, you know, in anything you do, listening to what people want and need, businesses, too often people start businesses about themselves. And don't get me wrong, I was doing that. I, this was a need. I needed a place to go to work. But why I've been successful is I was able to not only meet my needs, but listen to the people I wanted to attract and create something that met their needs. You know, yeah. the, I had the idea, like I said, at the end of 14, it took me to 17 to open because I had to learn how to raise capital and all the things. We were cash flow positive from day one and our offices were sold out. So while I hated that it took so long, I'm very thankful because it gave me the opportunity to get in front of some really impressive people and they tore my business plan to shreds. So like, I don't know, Maxine Clark is the founder of Build-A-Bear and she's in St. Louis and she's incredible. And she took the time to have lunch with me and it was two hours and oh, you know, I, she gave me some good, tough feedback because I had some things that were not right on my business plan, but I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so while it was difficult to hear, and I definitely, you know, had to go home and shake myself off a little bit. And not that she was rude, she was lovely, but you know, it, it's hard. It, it's your baby. So to hear your baby's ugly is difficult. <laughs> Um, they, they often say when you start a business, people will say like, nobody wants to tell you you have an ugly baby, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, when you find people like Maxine Clark that will tell you your baby's a little ugly, you listen. <laughs> and then, you know, another instrumental person talking about social capital, um, Jeff Cook, who is uh, the owner and founder of Arco Construction, which I do believe yeah. they do some business in Denver. Yeah, they do. He's incredible. He's another CEO of a large company who took time to meet with me when I was a nobody and he sat down, bought me lunch, two hours sat with him. And he also told me my baby was quite ugly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I listened, you know, yeah. if you're going to take the time of listening, take the time of somebody of that caliber who's proven themselves to know what the heck they're talking about, you need to listen, not to everything. Um, but there is definitely nuggets of gold in there. And then you, and then I would follow up with those people and say, Jeff, you know, you mentioned X, Y, and Z. I've changed X, Y, and Z. Thank you so much. It's made this impact in my business. And I think that's a piece a lot of people forget when building their social capital. One, you need to ask for help, but two, you need to listen. And, and three, you need to report back as to how it's helped you. Absolutely. That's great advice. That follow through piece of it. Is yes. Sometimes we're like, oh, thanks for your time. And then we're moving right along without really uh, ever circling back to show appreciation yes. for what happened or even just give them the, the update of what's going on. Um, yeah, you know, you, they want to know. They do. And if they take the time, that's the thing, you know, time is the most valuable commodity any of us have. And so when people are willing to share that, it's such a huge responsibility I feel like to just be able to do something productive with that um, yeah. and so that's a that's an awesome story though that these guys and, and yeah. Arco is, is in Denver in fact here yeah um, yeah now. I wouldn't be here without Jeff Cook and it's funny because Jeff was like well Stacy to raise capital you need capital and I was like well Jeff <laughs> um, I was a high school math teacher so I and I left and started some companies I don't have a dime to my name how the heck am I supposed to raise capital you know, how am I supposed to get my hands on capital to raise capital? And I give him a lot of credit. He said, well, maybe go do, you know, like an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter campaign. You know, oh. that's cutting edge. A lot of people back in 2014, 15 didn't know about those sites, let alone yeah. someone in construction. You know, that, that's not necessarily his area of expertise, but yet he was up on the times enough and innovation enough to suggest that. And because of him, you give me a good suggestion, I'm going to take it. Two weeks later, I uh, 
I think it was two weeks, two to four weeks, let's say, I launched my Indiegogo campaign. He was one of my first uh, contributors and I raised 20,000 on that. And he was wow. right to raise capital. I needed capital. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations and way to take, um, take that, that leadership or mentorship almost of, of the people around you. I, um, I'm curious, you mentioned that you do keynote speaking on social yeah. capital. What, what, what's your favorite <laughs> thing to talk about or what do you, what do you usually yeah. share? You know, the, the thing I found the most interesting when talking to people, this is more after the talk, but I, I will go back to the talk itself. You know, it's funny when people come up to me afterwards and they're like, you know, I just never thought about reaching out and asking for coffee because I have nothing to offer these impressive people, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, what they don't realize is that w when people reach a certain level, they want to give back. Right? It's yeah. not about what you have to offer them. What you have to offer them is the willingness to listen. What's interesting is I am actually a secret introvert, which I know nobody's going to believe right this moment, but the truth of the matter is I am. So I would go into these coffees with these crazy, amazing people. My heart would be pounding, like pounding. But luckily I can act like I'm composed, even though <laughs> internally I'm like dying. But what's interesting is because of that, a defense mechanism that happened unintentionally is I would just start asking them questions and letting them talk. Not that you can get that taste because I can't shut up right now, but I would not talk. I would ask them questions and let them talk for 80% of the meeting. And what's interesting, I now know the research behind that this dumb defense mechanism actually has research behind it to show that that is a tactic that actually helps you be more likable. People like there's research to show it i'm gonna butcher this but so people think that um if i were to do you a favor that you would like me better right like oh right. i helped you so you like me because i helped you but there's actually research to show the opposite if i help you i actually like you better <laughs> which is funny and you wouldn't think that it's super counterintuitive but it's true you know people want to be seen valued and heard and if you give them the space to genuinely be seen, valued, and heard, and you come to the table with the focus of building relationships, um, you'd be surprised how many people are willing. I mean, I just named two incredible business owners that talked to me before I had done anything, right? Yeah. And so, and like uh, George Paz, I think is his name, or I believe there's a CEO in St. Louis who owned it, who started Express Scripts. I think it's George Paz, but I could be butchering yeah. it. Um, but it's interesting when I got that meeting, everyone was like, oh my God, what do you, what's going to be your ask? You know, what's your pitch? And I said, my, I don't have a pitch. I don't have an ask. That guy gets pitched all day long. You know, my focus in this meeting with this incredible business owner that I am honored to sit across, who's a proven entity, is to build a relationship with him and hear what he has to say. You know, yeah. um, I think that's something that people forget when they're building capital, social capital. It's about, they think about pitching, they think about running their mouth and you need to sit down, shut up. <laughs> and genuinely care about what the person across you has to say. Yeah, that's such great advice. It's that that two ears, one mouth thing where we just, if we can get to listening, we often can be amazed by what is said. And um, and I think you're you're so right. It's that, that kind of that first step of really just building relationships. Even you, I mean, I so appreciate you taking my yeah. uh, request. I mean, you and Absolutely. I don't know each other and yeah. I just reached out to you and said, oh my gosh, I've been watching all the stuff that you're doing and it's awesome. Would you consider this? And, and here yeah. you are. And so thank well, you. 
I believe it's my job to pay it forward because I learned my business off the bat. Well, and let me back up. My company is called Rise Collaborative for a reason. I believe through collaboration, we rise, right? I am a walking example of that because of everyone who came to the table to help me, I've been able to rise as a business owner and be successful. So, you know, it's our job to collaborate and help one another in, in our quests. And you let me ramble on enough to remember what I actually, it's been a while since I've done a keynote. So I was like, what is the thing? What are the things I say? But you let me talk enough that makes me remember some of my key takeaways. One is, you know, just like money, you know, when we talk about capital as a, as a financial tool, you really need to build your capital, whether it's money or social capital, when you don't need it, yeah. you know, because when a rainy day comes, it needs to be there, right? So same thing with social capital. People make the mistake too often of, you know, losing a job, for so to speak. You know, I think a lot of people go down the, the corporate route or their career, what have you, and their head is down. They get to know their coworkers, but that's all, you know, it's kind of annoying to go out there and network and things like that. So it's like, oh, I don't need to do that. Why? Oh, you know, <laughs> if you're a secret introvert like me, those are my feelings. And so a lot of people won't get out there and build their social capital until they get fired or they need to, or it's downside or whatever, or right. they need a job. That's when people try to start building social capital. And then you come at it from a little bit more desperate, grabby kind of personality. I mean, think about dating, right? Yeah. You know, when you know you're good and, and you're, it's a different, it's a different energy that you're putting off versus like, please date me or please like me or I have to find people, you know, it, it, when it's a genuine, sincere, long game vision, um, it's just a different game. So I always say, you know, you need to build your social capital before you need it, just like for a rainy day, just like real capital. The second thing I talk a lot about in terms of building social capital is you have to really, just like when you, real capital, you know, some people invest in the stock market, some people invest in real estate, you know, there's all these different mechanisms and tools to rate, to build capital. Yeah. I believe the same, and you have to honor what you're comfortable with, right? Like some people are more into the stock market, some people, you know, whatever. Some people put it under their mattress, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, you have to honor where you are and, and when you do it your way, you build a better and stronger. I believe the same is true for social capital. Look, yeah. I am actually a secret introvert. Me going to large networking events, I'm the one hiding in the bathroom because I am nervous and don't want to talk to anybody. I'm the one that's just talking to the people I came with, you know, all the things. So for me, building social capital didn't look like going to large networking events. I do it sometimes, but it's not, I have not found success for me. I am great one-on-one. -on -one. So while it's not the most time efficient, you know, I've invested a lot of time in building social capital one coffee date at a time. Like I said, I've had 3,000 coffees at this point. Um, it, it's still really important for me to be authentic and true to my core. When you are in your lane of who you are, you're going to find a lot more success versus when you try to build social capital in a way that doesn't, like for example, like me going to the golf course. You know, yes, you can build a ton of social capital there. And women, if you like golf all day long, go to the golf course, right? Um, but me trying to go pretend like I can golf when I'm the whole time going to be so nervous and embarrassed by my behavior, I'm not going to build those real connections. So those are the two things that come to mind that I like to talk a lot about because I think it's important when you think about building social capital to think about those things.
Uh, thank you for sharing. I mean, those are great. And it's so true. The, the being authentic to yourself is such a huge piece of being able to connect authentically to others. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. And, and one of the things you, you mentioned um, both in this a little bit and earlier is that, you know, diversity is very important mm -hmm. to you and that your workspace and, and all of that. Can you share with us how you feel diversity relates to social capital? Yeah, I mean, if all you're around is the same person that thinks like you, looks like you, acts like you, what are you doing? You know, I want to be in the room with the most, you know, I want to be in the room with the most interesting, impressive, um, different walks of life, you know. I, I, that's how you learn, right? You're not going to yeah. learn if you're just in a, so often we're just in that tunnel, that tunnel vision, and we're not willing to put ourselves out there. I was that person when I was a teacher oh my gosh I laugh at what um, a shallow perspective I had about the world all I knew was teaching I you know went to school lived by the bells came home that was it I didn't interact with anyone that wasn't a teacher all I knew were teachers and if I'm being perfectly honest I barely interacted with anyone that wasn't a math teacher right <laughs> so I had such a limited view of the world um, and it was because I was scared of vulnerability. I, I, I don't know if you know Brene Brown, but if you don't know Brene Brown, <laughs> run and find her. I, my life has changed because of her. The book, The Gifts of Imperfection, was one of the best books I've ever read. I was that person that armored up and didn't want to show weakness. And teaching came natural to me. I'm a natural teacher, so I didn't have to ask for help. And I thought asking for help made me look weak, you know? So I didn't, and people thought I was a bitch. So I don't know, hopefully PG-13 is okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Uh, yeah. You know, my coworkers, because I had such hard armor around me and I was so not willing to show my soft side, which I actually am a huge softie. I cry, my poor business uh, partner in St. Louis, <laughs> she's seen me cry one too many times. Um, you know, but I wasn't willing to show that soft side of me because I didn't yet understand that vulnerability is actually really strength. Um, and so what's great about starting something you have no clue how to do, um, which I didn't, is I didn't have a choice. I, I wasn't going to survive unless I started asking for help because I, I, it didn't come natural to me. So, you know, I think that diversity of thought and being around people and asking them and listening to them, you know, I think that's really key. And I'm sorry I've said listening, like, 200 times on this podcast. <laughs> no, I, I think that's such a huge piece of it, though. I think so many times we do, we get caught up in hearing our self-talk, and, um, and often we miss the opportunities that are around us because we did all the talking. Yeah, and it's not about you. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about, I believe that my job is to figure out how to make the biggest impact for others. You know, that, that. My def, yeah, my, one of the questions I ask, we have a media platform that's launching and I interviewed a lot of, I, people always were like, why haven't you done anything with all those interviews? And I'm like, I don't know. So I finally started filming my awesome interviews with just top incredible businesswomen. We're getting ready to launch our media platform with that. And one of the questions I like to ask is how has the definition of success changed for you? Because I can still remember that girl sitting in my math class thinking I wanted to be CEO and what I thought CEO meant, how glamorous and fabulous, you know, and the title of it. You know, I was attaching success to the external things like titles, money, power, position, all those things. But, you know, once you have some of those things that you look around, you're like, really? <laughs> this is what it means to be CEO? This is really <laughs> freaking hard. You know, everyone's looking at me for years. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, you know. I mean, I do now, but you know what I mean? It's just yeah. this idea of what you thought and envisioned 
you would feel when you achieved certain levels of success um, versus the reality that's completely unfulfilling for me. You know, what fills me up is changing lives and making an impact. And so that's how my definition of success has changed through the years. Oh, I love that. And I wrote down impact and I was going to ask you, you know, how does that, how does that play into sort of your daily, like when you get up in the morning, how do you, how do you have an impact or how does that piece of it sort of play into your daily process? Yeah, that's, I created a company where that's my whole job. (laughs) You know, my job as founder CEO is to build a community and change lives, whether it's a high school girl or whether it's someone in our community. My I feel it's my responsibility to change these women's lives. So how I can do it in a lot of different ways. You know, I train my staff, you know, my general manager and partners, like we play hostess when we're on site, you know, hi, Sally, have you met Jane? Jane does this, Sally does this, you two need to connect. You know, that is our job. We are the host. Um, You know, so we focus a lot of our energy and fostering that social capital, building the relationships, providing the resources and tools to our women that they need to achieve their dreams. You know, everything we're creating is to help, you know, so I talked about the social capital. So the two things that have to do with Rice Collaborative is our vision and our mission is to create a pipeline for success, to support high school girls on their journey. And no matter where you are on that pipeline, we want to support you right? And then the second thing is to give access to more social capital. Those are the two things that everything we create at Rice Collaborative comes back to. How are we supporting women on this pipeline? Where are they on this pipeline? What do they need? And how do we give them access to incredible people? So oh my gosh. at the heart of, so it's funny, it, Denver has been such a blessing and a curse for me because Denver knows what co-working is, and so, you know, when I start and lead with saying we're a female-focused co-working space, people's brains go to WeWork and Galvanize, which are great co-working spaces. Um, but that's not really what we are, you know? I've had to fight the misperception of really what Rise Collaborative is. It's so much more than a physical space. Yeah. Um, and so we're really working. Yeah, so COVID has accelerated um, our our process of launching this media platform slash virtual membership, because our vision is how can we support more women and teenage girls beyond my St. Louis location, beyond my Denver location. You know, we do plan to open more locations. However, you know, I have learned a lot of lessons and I'd rather create virtual ones first in some of these locations prior to breaking in, you know, breaking into a city where no one knows your name and and who you are and what you're trying to do was, uh, challenging at times, but I've gotten past it. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing. I love, I, I mean, I, I imagine, I, I think I can understand why you're so passionate about what you're doing because what a cool job, if you will, um, yeah. to be able to be having an impact and thinking outside the box. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, with COVID and with how things have changed, you know, it's important to be flexible and to be able to pivot and to, you know, make adjustments where needed based on what's happening in the world around us. What have, what are you seeing as far as an innovative way to start to build that social capital that's different than maybe what we did before? Yeah. I mean, just like everyone else, you know, COVID hit and we were scrambling, you know, it's hard, you know, at the end of the day, we do have a physical location and some of our revenue comes from the actual physical location. So, 
you know, April was a tough month for us. We couldn't charge our members for something we couldn't give them. But what's in, and I was, you know, end of March, I was on the couch being like, Whoa, I don't know if I'm if this could be the end of me. You know, I'm done for. It's kind of, if I'm being honest, where I was at the end of March. Um, but it's funny, my members picked me back up. They reach out and they're like, no, 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 no. This is more than a community. It's more than a workspace. We want to pay. We're not going anywhere. And, you know, so I think it was like a Friday. I was like, oh, we're done for. By that Monday, we had created all new virtual programming. And I'm a little overzealous. I went from one in-person event per week for my community to virtual. We launched virtual like a day after we closed, essentially. Um, we had four virtual offerings per day for the oh, full week. Wow. <laughs> but then <laughs> I've learned that's not the right choice. So if you're launching something, don't go for it. Um, but you know, that just goes to show that our ability to pivot and adjust quickly and the reach that we have with our community, you know, all of our programming is led by members for members. And so that shows the strength of who, who we have in our community that can tap them and create programming for a day. We did it for, I think, a week, four a day. And then I was like, ooh, this was a little bit too much. And so then I went down to two a day. And then I was like, ooh, that's kind of too much. So then we went down to one a day. Um, and then in May, we're doing two a week. Um, so I think it's this willingness, to answer your question, I think it's this willingness to dive in, even if maybe a little overzealous and maybe in the wrong way. But you dive in because you have to figure out what works and you will never figure it out unless you try. Um, in terms of specific to social capital, it's a beautiful time to, to create social capital because Zoom, you know, you can get on the phone with people you and, and Zoom and connect in a way that you wouldn't have been able to do. You know, I'm connecting with people in different states and different countries um, and, and people are more willing to get onto Zoom and have that virtual interaction than ever before. So it's really an exciting time for virtual connections and we're really amplifying it and launching um, uh, you know, an online offering so more people can be a part of our community, even if you don't want to necessarily come to our programming, but maybe you want to have coffees with our women, or maybe you want to get to know who's in our tribe. Um, I'm excited to have that opportunity. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And it makes me feel better because I sort of did the same thing. You know, my whole job, um, full-time job is really to host events and to bring people together. Yes. And I had the same kind of like laying on the couch moment, like I'm done for. Um, yeah. And did the same sort of thing in the sense of like literally hosting three and four events a day for two weeks going, oh my God, I'm, how is it that people are feeling so relaxed? I'm exhausted. Um, and so, you know, but, but you're right. It's something about being able to just innovate in that moment and yeah. say, there's needs here. We've got to provide um, opportunities to understand more about what these needs are, what is resonating with people. And, um, and it was a very interesting and informative time. I mean, I'm pretty sure like you, I mean, we did probably six months worth of content in three weeks <laughs> and you know, what we would have done as normal events, maybe quite <laughs> once a week or something. Right. I mean, it was insanity. Uh, but what it did is it gave us such insight into what resonates with people. And I think yeah. that's where we, um, you know, uh, we've got to be able, uh, like you said, as a trusted resource, part of that is being that first person to say, like, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm willing to try. I don't know how to mm -hmm. do it, but I'm going to go after it. We're going to work yeah. together. And then sharing. One of the things I've found to be so um, rewarding is that even though I don't know what I'm doing on some of this stuff, I'm trying to figure it out. Everything that I'm learning, I can just share with the mm -hmm. other people around me. And then it's amazing that 
just the sense of camaraderie and like you said, like that ability to rise together as they begin to feel more comfortable. Yeah. And even things as simple as virtual backgrounds. Oh, true. And, totally. You know, stuff like that where that's sort of a hang up for people. They don't want to get on these virtual calls because they don't want everyone to, to see what's behind them. They feel sort of exposed and vulnerable in that way. And so then to just be able to help share a level of comfort and show them how easily it can be done. I feel like this is part of that opportunity that's sort of bred through through challenge and, and struggle that can um, bond us for the future forever. Absolutely. You know, the 2019 and expanding to Denver was a really hard year for me in many ways. But what I've realized is there's, it's always and, right? Yeah. What I mean by that is, you know, it pushed me beyond my wildest dreams. I had no idea what expansion and scaling and growing really was going to, in a new city, was really going to look like, feel like, be like, you know, I bit off a lot and it sucked at times if I'm being honest, but, and there were so many beautiful lessons and learning and, you know, it, it really helped to, to drive home this place of we live in this idea of or, but it's not about or. You know, it's really about and, and how can we remember that and live in that and? COVID sucked, and there were some beautiful things that came from it. You know, so pain and misery is almost always coupled with, sorry, Siri keeps pulling up on my computer. Pain and misery is almost always coupled with and beauty and wonder and, and extraordinary things. And so, you know, we got to get over this idea of or. You know, uh, in Denver, what really helped push me to that place is when Riveter came. Riveter is an amazing women-focused co-working space that is in my market and ahead of me in some ways. And, you know, I'd be a liar if I didn't say it was scary when I first heard they were coming. Um, but here's the beauty is that it's not they'll be a success or I'll be a success, right? I got to know their COO and I was just like, no, get over it, you know, like, they can be a success and we can be a success and we need yeah. to live in this world and, and maybe i won't be a success right maybe maybe rise collaborative won't always win but at the end of the day i want to live in the world of believing in the and and not spending my time focusing on the or me spinning my wheels about riveter um would have not served me well we're very different the people that are drawn to the two are very different and they're awesome right and and me putting energy in any other way is silly it's normal to have that moment of fear but it's like what do you choose to do with that moment of fear and i chose to get to know their ceo i would love to get their seat to know their ceo i just uh, i just didn't have the opportunity yet she was pregnant and having babies and whatever. But that's all just to say, like, I saw this as an, as an opportunity to build social capital and build a relationship, even though in many ways we are a direct competitor. So I, I, I think thinking about and in many aspects of your life is really important, even more so today, as we navigate the unknown of COVID and vulnerability of uncertain times. It will Absolutely. be really hard and it will be really beautiful if you let it. But here's one more thing is that I used to fight those feelings of like, oh my God, this is never going to work. And I would just keep plugging along and pushing down and, you know, fooling myself that I wasn't feeling that way and not talking about it and hiding the fact that it's so hard. And what I've learned is it's super counterintuitive, but the, the more I embrace how shitty I'm feeling and let myself just lay in bed that day and watch Netflix <laughs> or say 
you know, this is really hard. I might not make it. Or how the heck am I ever going to survive this? And being willing to reach out and say, you know, I'm feeling really unmotivated today. I'm really scared that I might not survive this uh, pandemic, you know, or whatever it is that you're facing. It's funny how when you're willing to let yourself feel and just give yourself permission to do whatever you need in that moment and reach out, you actually bounce back faster. It's when you fight it and when you pretend it's not there that you operate at this like half capacity or probably more like a fourth capacity um, and just coast by doing a crappy job. That's huge. And that's such great advice because it is, it's just acknowledging that it's there and giving it the space to be there and then moving on, you know, whether that's in uh, relationships or, um, you know, business and and personal, it it can kind of, it's in all of those different realms where when we can just acknowledge the authentic way that we are feeling the genuine things that we're thinking and, and struggling with and then share with trusted sources, I think you're right. It's a huge, huge um, tool to be able to free ourselves from some of that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, yeah. you know, and I'm curious, you know, one of the things you said about, you know, competition technically, it's like, it's just amazing to me, especially Denver. I, I swear Denver is like the smallest city, the smallest <laughs> big city that there is. I mean, you, you yes. stay here long enough and you will find that you can cross the street and see someone, you know, um, and, and in that, you know, we have a lot of competitors, like you said, and, and so, how do you, you know, how do you sort of see that and, and what advice do you give to people when you're in a competitive market and yet yeah. you want to continue to build social capital? How do you sort of navigate some of those sort of interesting relationships? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. St. Louis has co-working, um, but not nearly like Denver. Um, coming into a very saturated market, um, you know, it was intimidating. And I have a lot of quote unquote competitors, if you will. Um, so there's been a lot of learning. I mean, the biggest thing I have been focused on is getting clearer and clearer about who we are, you know, who am I as a company and as a brand and, and what is our special sauce? You know, you know, like I said, I'm the Nordstrom's of coworking, you know, one thing that's really important to us is professional polish. If you're going to spend money on a physical workspace where you could be sitting in a coffee I want to up your game, right? I want you to, you know, you can't see this, but we have a beautiful chandelier, you know, the crystal chandelier, these small touches that really help to differentiate ourselves. And not that there aren't beautiful other co-working spaces, but not done in the way that we're doing them. Yeah. I also think, you know, I can remember moments of panic in Denver and thinking, oh my God, there's no way I can break into this market. It's too saturated. Then I I would look around, I, I would see coffee shops at every corner, you know, and, and why I believe coffee shops at every corner are able to survive. Well, not all of them, obviously, but it's like, they're really clear about who they are. You know, they focus on relationships and you innovate and do what's right for your customers. And it's quality, 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 quality. You know, you need to deliver. I I didn't realize until more recently, I'm kind of a, a little high strung, as I'm sure you're picking up on, and I hold myself to a really high standard, right? And I, I don't just deliver, I deliver at a high level. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it really well. Or if I'm going to introduce you to somebody, I expect that person to, you know, can follow yeah. through. I hold myself and everyone around me to a really high standard. And I just assumed everyone in business does that. 
what I've found through, through trial and error is that is not the case. That's actually more the rarity than the norm, um, which is shocking to me because I can't, like one of our core values is also integrity. My integrity is incredibly important to me. And so if I say I'm going to do something and not to say that I don't ever miss the deadline, but I'm going to communicate to you, right? You know, my word is my honor and who I am and that trust in people I, I don't take lightly people's trust. Um, and so I think that operating in your core values and operating at a high level and delivering what you say, as stupid as that sounds, but that has really helped us to stand out. And not that other companies aren't doing it. And Riveter delivers at a very high level. So this is not me trying to say that they're not, but I've gotten really clear in how are we similar and how are we different? Yeah. And what is our product? You know, our niche, our focus is changing young people's life yeah lives that's what at the core of who i am is what lights me up and what is so important to me and creating this pipeline for success and this mentor program and so people who are attracted to me that is a really important thing to them you know this yeah. this and so that has really helped us to stand out um, because we are different yeah that's awesome and thank you so much for sharing that i um I'm curious, you know, you, I have mentoring written down as well, and I wanted to kind of come back to that yeah. and you sort of segue us into it is, you know, how does, men, how is mentoring important to you? What does that look like? And, and how do people, you know, how do you recommend people get connected in mentorship or why should they? Yeah, I wouldn't be here without mentorship. Um, but it's funny, I can remember, you know, mentoring, that, that term became kind of buzzy, what, five, six years, I don't remember when it came out, but well, the term's been around for a long time, but it became very you know, out there, talked about a lot. And I can remember when I first went into business, I would just reach out and be like, hey, will you be my mentor? <laughs> you know, upon first meeting. Because I was like, oh, they say I need a mentor. Met this cool woman. I'm just going to ask her, will she be my mentor? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that term is very loaded. Um, people don't know what that means. And, um, and you don't just meet someone for the first time and ask them to be your mentor, right? I think mentorship can take on a lot of different views, a lot of different ways. You know, some people are my mentor and they don't even realize it, right? Um, some people I talk to maybe every three months and it's not a formal mentor program, but they are absolutely my mentor. Um, or I was lucky enough to have a formal mentor, uh, but I did not just straight up ask her, will you be my mentor? It was this really amazing businesswoman named Mary Jo Gorman. She is both a um, doctor, she has her, she was an emergency, no, ICU doctor, and she has her executive MBA from WashU. She started and sold several companies. One of her most recent companies was called, or is called Advanced ICU. It's a tele-ICU company. She's no longer working with that company, but she was there and she started, she's the founder. Um, you know, and I met her for coffee and I was so nervous because she is a no bullshit kind of woman. You know, she's a straight talker. And I was like, she's going to ask me questions. I don't know how to answer. I actually brought a friend along because I was so nervous. But <laughs> nonetheless, we were sitting there and I was talking and she said, you know what, Stacy, I think you're on to something. She's like, I had heard about you, but I didn't take you seriously. And she said it nicer than it sounds. Um, <laughs> she's like, you know, you are so talking about changing lives and vision and mission. Um, you know, are you a business or are you a nonprofit? You know, she's like, my company saves lives, but we make money and we don't apologize for it. And I was like, whoo, okay. <laughs> yeah, I like what you're saying. I said, but all of my coaches so far and all of the people helping me are much more focused on the social impact space. I don't have as many supports around me 
um, in terms of business, you know, who would you recommend? You know, I need help. I don't know business. Like I know, you know, being a teacher, I know how to change lives. I know how to build community. I know how to, you know, all that fluffy stuff I love, but knowing how to run a business and make money and not apologize was a huge gap for me. And so when I asked her, I said, who do you recommend? She said, I will meet with you once a month for two hours if you don't waste my time. And I learned how to raise capital, how to write a business plan, how to make a pitch deck, like all the things from this brilliant woman. And let me tell you, every time I showed up, I was so nervous she was going to fire me. You know, like, <laughs> did, I, did I do enough? You know, like, you know, and so like, she gave me some hard homework that pushed me and, um, you know, I did it. And, and, I, and I delivered higher, I over delivered and she kept, she kept me around, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I think she was my mentor for about a year. And having her in my corner gave me a lot of social proof and a lot of validation and people, people would talk to me. And so she opened a lot of doors for me. So, you know, I think it's, um, you know, notice that I didn't ask her directly. I kind of gave her the space to volunteer it and said, who should I be talking to? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then there are formal mentor programs. You know, we at Rise, we have two different types of mentor programs. We have a mentor program connecting high school girls with our member, or, yeah, high school girls with our members. And then in St. Louis, we piloted, which we'll bring to Denver, is a, a mentor program between our members. You know, because we have such an array of different ages and experience levels, um, you know, we've been able to connect our members together who are, you know, that are looking for that mentor-mentee relationship. So it's something we facilitate because it can be really awkward. How do you go about asking who does have the time? What does that look like? So if you're thinking about, if you've met someone really awesome, I would treat it like dating, right? You don't just dive right in, right? You, I would, you know, I would have coffee with that person. I would, I would follow up with that person. I would ask, you know, can we jump back on a call or, can, you know, could we meet back up in a couple months? something I would build a relationship over time or or I'm struggling with X who should I talk to to get support on X you know and they may volunteer themselves or they may say you know Sally is really great you should talk to her and then you say would you be comfortable making that introduction or could I use your name to meet Sally you know those kind of things well, that's incredibly helpful and thank you because I think that's the thing we sometimes don't know what we don't know and don't even know yes. how to get started or where to even get started and and do we just ask how do we start to break that ice and and is that appropriate i think sometimes that's even the thing is we're unsure as to what's appropriate um but sometimes you just gotta yeah. go for it yeah and keep in mind successful people are pitched all the time i didn't understand that until our business started to take off and then i'm getting these pitches these sales pitches are just pitches all the time and people are always focused in on what's in it for them you know, yeah. I have this great product. You need this great product. Do I? You don't know me, you know? <laughs> and I don't need it 450 pitches a day. Um, but where, how I came about it, as I said, I'm trying to help young people. And I want to understand, you know, how you became successful. Would you be willing to share with me your journey, your story? I would love to use that knowledge to change young people's lives. You know, that doesn't feel like I, I don't feel like it feels like a pitch, you know, it's yeah. like their opportunity to help impact somebody on a low cost way, you know, their yeah. half an hour of their time. Um, so I just think you need to think through when you're reaching out to people, how can you make it about them and not about you? And how can you provide value? You know, even today, there's some people that I've met, you know, if something comes up that I 
that they had mentioned, you know, like somebody mentioned their love of wine, let's say. Um, I just interviewed Sharon, uh, Sharon, I can't think of her last name, from a company called Rare Cat Winery. Her story is fabulous. Yeah. She, and, um, you know, if someone was wanting to do something with wine, I would connect them to Sharon because, you know, I have that resource. I can be of value while I'm not maybe as successful as the person I'm talking to. You know, Sharon's a wonderful person that could be helpful. So always thinking about how can I give back and not so much what's in it for me. That's huge. And we talk about adding value a lot on the show because I think that's one of the biggest things that drives social capital is I, I really believe that the one of the best ways to build influence is through creating and building goodwill and coming yes. up with ways to build goodwill, whether it's between other people who you won't benefit at all um, or, you know, groups of people that you can just help facilitate and support something. But in that way of just giving and adding value, we often find that influence is something that we receive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have to have the long game in mind. You know, one of our core values at Rise is relationships first. Mm -hmm. I had been in interactions where it was very transactional and I hated it. That doesn't yeah. feel good. Transactional doesn't feel good. So that's why one of our core values is relationships first. We believe it's the long game. It's about building authentic relationships with people. And so when you go about life that way, it just changes things. There are people that I've had coffee with that have not joined Rise, um, but I stay in touch with them. And, and they may never join Rise, right? But they're great women and I care about that relationship. It's not about transaction. You know, um, when I do public speaking and the keynote I was talking about, I often compare this journey to one of my favorite art forms. It's called pointillism. I am not an artist. I found it because I had to teach geometry and had to teach all of these annoying vocabulary terms. And I was like, how do I, how do I teach something in such not a dry way? So I found this beautiful painting called A Sunday Afternoon by George Seurat. It's this gorgeous, um, like beach community picture. Um, and it's made by this idea of pointillism. An artist just makes these individual dots on the page. I've read that they only can use primary colors. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but this journey, and I do believe social capital, is very much like that painting. And so what I mean by that is the artist has to have a vision in mind, right? They didn't just slap some points on the page, right? They had this vision of what their painting was going to look like. But... When they start putting these dots on the page, those dots had to have felt so random and disjoint, right? Like, what? Like, how is this ever going to turn out to be this painting, right? They, <laughs> they would doubt themselves. Anyone around them might doubt them, you know? And it's really not until those last couple dots that on that page where you finally see it, right? You're finally yeah. like, oh, that dot over there really was this thing over here, you know? In my opinion, that's how social capital works, right? There's someone that you're going to meet today, and you might walk around from that meeting and be like, wow, that was a waste of time. But I don't want people to think about it that way. You just put a dot on your page towards this greater picture. You have no idea who they told about you. You have no idea who their friends are. And you know, have no idea how they're going to resurface three years from now. You know, it's really spooky how that happens. I will... I know I'm being long-winded, but let me tell you a story that's really changed my life. Um, to get Rice St. Louis open, I needed a letter of credit. The letter of credit is where someone pledges, you know, I needed a $200,000 letter of credit. So I needed to find individuals to pledge money in a bank as collateral so that if my company goes under, my landlord can take that $200,000. 
dollars. Now, if I'm a success, it just sits in the bank, you know, under their name and they're making interest. But nonetheless, that's a pretty big risk. It was so hard to find someone to pledge $200,000 letter of credit. Um, and I had sort of given up hope. Um, I had coffee with these incredible women and the person who connected said, don't pitch this woman. She's not coming to the table as an investor. You know, she just knows a lot of people just have coffee with her. I was like, absolutely. So I told her what was happening. I told her how I was thinking about using my teacher uh, retirement money. Not that I had 200,000, but I was trying anything. I was like, I have some teacher retirement money. I think I'm going to use that. And she's like, that's stupid, because it was. <laughs> um, she's like, I'll pledge 100000 and she'll pledge 100000 But what's interesting is they're saying that is one thing, and that was incredible. But thereafter, the gatekeeper to that money was a woman who was my sorority sister, who was my pledge granddaughter, who I hadn't spoken to and barely knew since I was 20. Wow. So the gatekeeper to this life-changing experience to be able to get Rise Collaborative up and running, who, you know, these women were really going to, to decide, was a woman I hadn't seen since I was 20, and I, and she was two years younger than me, and I barely knew her, and I remember thinking, oh my god, who was I when I was 20? You know, like, how did I behave? What <laughs> characteristics does she remember about me? Am I worthy of this risk? You know, it was terrifying. Nobody would have told me like that dot I put on the page of whoever I was when I was 20 to the dot I need today to get Rise Collaborative open, you would have never predicted that. You know, that, that there's that old age thing of don't burn bridges. Well, I'm a little fiery and I never really thought much about that. And, you know, if somebody pissed me off, I might have mouthed <laughs> off a little bit more than it was appropriate. You know, I needed to learn to cool it a little bit at times. Um, but think about that. I mean, that dot was instrumental in my beautiful painting that has become Rice Collaborative. And so you, you have to have the long game and it cannot be about what's in it for me. And not that I, I say that with a grain of salt and you can't waste all your time either, right? Like you yeah. have to have that grander vision in mind. I'm not just going out and having coffees with randoms. Right. You know, I have purpose behind what I'm doing, but I'm not so rigid and so transactional that I'm expecting something to happen immediately. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So. That's such, you just gave us so much great uh, wisdom <laughs> and advice in that, in those stories, because you're absolutely true. It's just, it's that serendipitous of really mm -hmm. not knowing exactly how this is all going to play out, um, but understanding and believing that there's something good that will come from it. And that's, that's huge. And thank you for sharing that story because you do, you just never know how this you stuff don't. is going to, and what had, and then like you had mentioned, you know, people, you don't know who they're going to go talk to about you. And I think that's a piece of social capital that sometimes we forget is that these people that we make relationship with and have impact with are then sort of almost our own salespeople in a sense. Yeah. They go and they talk and it's much easier to um, you know, it's like I build credibility by sharing about someone else better than if they share about themselves, right? Yep. It's like to have someone else talk about you and share about you and what you're passionate about and all of that. And then for you to be able to walk into that space, there's a certain level of credibility that happens rather than you having to go and be there to self-promote. Yeah. You know, what you're touching on is something I talk a lot about in terms of social proof. You yeah. know, you need to create social proof about who you are, you know, when you're first starting out and someone has to decide whether or not they're going to have coffee with you, the first thing they're going to do is look at your LinkedIn, 
<laughs> what social proof are you putting out there on LinkedIn about who and what you are and what values you bring to the table and that you're worth their time? And I don't mean that in a jerk kind of way, but people are making snap judgments all the time. And so what it's important to create social proof out there about who you are and what you're doing. And you're right. It's always better when someone else is saying fabulous things about you versus you just be like, Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm wonderful. You like me, you know, that that's silly, right? So what can you be doing to help create social proof? Absolutely. Um, I'm curious just cause this is an interesting thing um, to me is what is your, do you have like something, a daily routine or schedule that you do every day or are you kind of flexible? What does your day to day sort of look like? Yeah. So I am really good at working harder, not smarter. <laughs> My goal for post-COVID is working smarter, not harder. I am, I don't know if anyone's into Myers-Briggs, but I'm actually an INTP. So being a P by nature, if you're into Myers-Briggs, I'm a little bit of a scatterbrained. Um, and so while I would love to tell you that I have this beautiful system and I, and I religiously do X, Y, or Z, it would be a big old lie. Um, I, I don't, I have moments of inspiration. You know, I, I have built a muscle that I try to post on social media and LinkedIn, you know, daily. Do I post on daily? No, but do I try to? Yes. Um, and it really depends on what's happening in my life. Like when I was um, expanding to Denver and needing to build social capital in the city I'd never been, I was much more intentional, right? Yeah. I was like, we talked about our mutual friend, Amy. I was connecting with people on Instagram. I was connecting with people on LinkedIn. I was asking for introductions. You know, I was doing everything in my power to be able to have coffee with people. And so yeah. that was a little bit more intentional. Um, and, but I am much more fits and starts and that, you know, that goes back to, you have to honor who you are. Um, do I think that's the smartest, most productive? My husband is all about like optimizing and efficiency and all those things. And, you know, could I do it better? Absolutely. But when I honor who I am, I seem to figure out a way to be successful. So. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. That makes me feel better because I'm sort of that way too. I don't, I don't have a yeah. set routine every morning. There's a lot of people do and it works for them, but um, that's, that's not how I operate either. Yeah. So. Then I would dread it, right? Like yeah. I'm the kind of, you know, ends, if you're into Myers-Briggs, INTP, and N is somebody who doesn't like routine. It doesn't want to, NP especially. They don't like routine. They want to, you know, they're more creative. They have fits of inspiration, right? So if you take an NP and you try to shove them into a more like SJ, SJs tend to be really rigid and organized, um, it's not going to feel good and they're not going to operate their best. The biggest thing about being successful is figuring out what does it look like? How can I operate at my core self and giving yeah. yourself opportunities to operate what's true for you and to stop apologizing for it. Like, sure, it'd be great. I should be more organized, but you know what? I'm never going to be. And the more I let myself and you know what I do, I surround myself with really organized, <laughs> smart people to offset all my quirks. I am definitely quirky. I have what I call founder's disease. I think founders are all a little bit quirky like me and we are a little crazy to be able to do what we do, but, um, but you have to have someone by your side. That's a little bit more feet on yeah. the ground. Yeah, that's huge. I, I always laugh. I'm not great at making things pretty. Like you don't, you don't call me to like make the pretty basket, and the bows and all of that stuff. But man, I know the people in my life who can, and yes. I love them call them, appreciate their gifts and talents in such a major way. And then know that I have somebody that I can count on to make those things pretty and hope that there's something that I can do for them that uh, doesn't come as easily to them. 
and that's kind of part of that whole collaborative uh, yes. life. And stop beating yourself up because you're not good at the at making things pretty. Who cares? You know, yeah. I think as women, I'm going to overgeneralize, but I think as a whole, as women, we're trained to feel like if we aren't good at something that that devalues us. Like I'm not good at making the baskets or whatever, you know, yeah. then, then there's something wrong with me as a woman. Like that is not true. You know, like what are you great at? Stop apologizing for the things you're not great at and make peace with it. And not to say that we can't grow and learn. Look, I have a lot of quirks. I've had to grow a ton and stretch. I am stretching all the time. So it's not like I'm like, screw you, I don't care. Right. But, but I'm not apologizing or feeling bad. And I'm trying my hardest to spend 80% of my time on the things that I know I'm great at. And, you know, 20% of the time I have to stretch. And, you know, I've been working <laughs> on you know, something that's hard for me. You know, look, I'm a doer. I'm a super doer. I can get it done all day long. Um, that makes super doers are not always the best at managing people. I have not been. <laughs> so I've been working on learning how to be a better manager. And what I've learned is um, I don't have to change who I am and how I speak. I am a straight shooter. I hate passive aggressive. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm just a tell it like it is, but I'm not a, a mean spirited person. But what I've learned is that straight shooters can land really challenging for people who are used to passive aggressive or yeah. aren't used to direct communication. Um, and so I got great uh, advice that it's not that I have to change who I am, but I have to shepherd my impact. So what I mean by that is if I'm really cranked, like sometimes I can be, you know, chatty and warm and fluffy, right? But then when it's time to go, I'm really focused. And I'm a little intense. And that's a big shift for people that they sometimes are like, whoa, what'd I do? Did I piss her off? You know? Yeah. And so what I've been working on is shepherding my impact where it's like, I say, hey guys, I'm really cranked up today. I'm really stressed. I'm juggling 50 things right now. So I'm going to be really direct and really short because I really want to crank through my to-do list. Um, and that has really helped giving me, because in the past what I was trying to do is, is be just beat myself up because I'm not as fluffy in those moments and trying to put all this energy and trying to be someone I'm not. And that, that wasn't working. I was driving myself and everyone crazy. Um, but once I realized, you know, and I've, and I've referenced Myers-Briggs, I'm going to also reference another, any, another personality test. There's something called the Enneagram. Yeah. I highly recommend people do it. Um, because for me, what's been helpful is to explain that shift. So I'm actually a two with a wing of a three. A two can be this really warm, inviting, you know, relationship focused, someone focused on someone else's needs person. But what happens is when I get stressed, I get triggered into an eight. And an eight is like, you know, drill sergeant, checking boxes, very intense. And that's exactly who I am. And so, like I said, that can be really shock and awe for people to go from warm fuzzy to drill sergeant. They internalize it as it's them. Yeah. But I didn't understand that. I was just beating myself up as there was something wrong with me as a leader until someone talked to me about Enneagrams and helped me understand what was happening, that mm. that was just who I am. That's just how I'm wired. And that will always happen. And if I can just shepherd that impact and help people to know it's not them, it's me, then I don't have to change. I mean, I, I don't need to be rude to people, <laughs> right. but I was never being rude. I just was being very intense. 
Intensity. I feel like intensity is a common theme with people who know how to get it done and make shit yeah. happen. You know, Absolutely. it's like you do have a bit of intensity in that area, but you know, communicating is what you're really doing is just letting people know like, Hey, here's what's happening. And I'm just giving you a heads up that this is, this is not you. This is me. And this is where we're, where we're headed. And that, that can solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Cause I didn't understand the story that people were telling themselves was that it's them. Yeah. Cause I, you know, and so as a manager and a leader, that was a really interesting learning is that people, you know, as a leader, I always felt the same as everyone else, right? Like I, I'm like, well, just because I have the title CEO, I'm just like you. But what I've recently learned is when you have that title, everything you do or say is escalated and that people are really looking to you for approval, so to speak. Or there's just a fear that's created unbeknownst to you. Yeah. Um, that you have a much bigger impact on people than you realize. Just because I feel the same as them, they don't feel the same as me. Yeah. Um, and that was a really big aha moment because I didn't get that. I was like, why are they feeling this way? I'm no different than them. Why are they freaking out? <laughs> you yeah. know so i thought that was that's, interesting yeah that's very interesting and thank you for sharing and um and kudos to you for being a leader that's willing to learn and continue to grow and change <laughs> i mean that thank that's you. a lot of the battle for all of us is that we just continue to uh self-reflect and be self-aware and and have that emotional intelligence to be able to say how is this impacting the world around me and and what can i do to sort of soften the the impact in, in the areas that that's necessary. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, that goes back to one of my random dots on my page is that master's in counseling, <laughs> you know, while I'm not a school counselor, you know, all of that self-work and yeah. all, and I believe in counseling and I go to a counselor, you know, all of that stuff, I, while I am not doing that, that dot on the page was very much a part of my overall painting. So, um, and when people always ask me, what, what classes, what courses, what would, you, what would you do if you want to start a business? And I say, go to a lot of counseling. Go do some self-work because it's going to trigger every insecurity, every quirk about you. And so if you want to be an entrepreneur, go do some self-work. Absolutely. That's great advice. And, um, and I'm curious, you know, do you have like a mantra or a, a saying or a quote that is sort of your go-to? Well, I actually mentioned it earlier, you know, we live by the quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. So that's the rise quote. The other quote, it's funny on my, I had forgotten about that I live this way, but on my classroom door, um, when I was a teacher, I always had the quote, um, if you don't like something, change it. If you don't, uh, if you can't change it, change your attitude. It's a yeah. quote by Maya Angelou. And I had that on my door for years and years and years. And I sort of forgot about it. And then one of my students reached out and brought it back up to me. And I, and I was like, you know what? that's really one of the things that make me successful. You know, if I don't like something, I'm going to try to change it. And then if I, if I can't change it, then I'm going to see how I can change something else, you know, go about it in a different way. So yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. And um, a great quote to live by and, and really empowering if you think about it, because it still gives us control. Nothing is out of our control. We can just continue to change how we approach those things. So yeah. Um, you know, Susie, it has been awesome having you here and getting to know you a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm curious if there's anything that you have going on now that we can support you in or anything that you're really excited about that you would like to share. Yeah, so some of the things we're really excited about is uh, bringing our nonprofit Rice Society to Denver. You know, I've mentioned that we have a mentor program connecting high school girls to our community. 
Uh, it's a year-long mentor program that starts in September and went till May and till April. We did a graduation. We had to do a Zoom graduation, but it was so touching. Um, so we're really excited to bring that to Denver. Um, you know, we're still sort of uh, coming up with plan B and C due to COVID as to how we're going to launch that, how we launched it in <laughs> St. Louis and how we planned to launch it in Denver. Uh, um, has been changed a little bit. So stay tuned, follow us so that you can be aware of our mentor program uh, for high school girls. You know, we have a lot of uh, unknowns in terms of the school year and things like that. So we're sort of coasting a little bit to see how that unfolds. The second thing we're really excited about, and I've mentioned a little bit, we are launching a virtual membership. Uh, you know, we do a lot of in-person and great work. But what we've learned is there's a lot of people that want access to our community, maybe to mentor a teen and various other things. And we have some of the coolest women you could imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I'll admit this. I'm biased. But, you know, I think about my very first member in St. Louis was a CEO of a $2 billion company. You know, we have a CEO of a $500 million company. We have these really amazing women that are coming to be a part of our community, you know, and uh, since opening, I've had this really incredible opportunity to get to know and interview women like Nicole Miller, the designer. I, I, uh, I was the moderator for the Bush sisters book tour, Jenna and, um, oh my gosh, Barbara Bush. Um, you know, I've had these crazy experiences I never would have been able to tell you and getting to meet women like them or like Sarah Fryer, who's the CEO of Nextdoor. I remember when I first met her, I was so nervous because she's like leap years ahead of me. She's on the board of Slack and Walmart. And when she started talking and I realized she wasn't that different from me, I mean, she's different in terms of her professional, yeah. but like as a human, I was like, oh my gosh, she, she's normal. <laughs> you know? yeah. or, um, those kind of opportunities and experiences changed my life. And so what I wanna do is bring the access to those kind of women to more people, right? Yeah. So we started filming these interviews with these incredible women. Like in Denver, we filmed an interview with the CEO of WOW, which is a publicly traded company in, um, in Denver. And I feel like she's like one of three women CEOs of publicly traded companies in Colorado. So we're really excited to be able to provide access and, and information and learning and content from these incredible people that we have, we have the good fortune of having relationships with. And so that virtual membership is something we're really excited to launch. Um, and so stay tuned for that. Um, and then lastly is just really, uh, we're really focusing on corporate and remote workers. Look, so many people are gonna work from home that never worked before home before. And I think it's amazing that companies are gonna start offering that. But if there's any, you know, HR people or uh, people in charge of, uh, you know, their employee happiness, I encourage you to explore whether it's us or another space, you know, these, these opportunities to support your, your team and your people to get out of their house and to engage with people outside of just your coworkers. Because it's so, I mean, from a biz dev perspective, it's great to have relationships with people outside your company. And so I'm really excited uh, to have that be something we focus on post COVID is, is that, that we have a part-time membership. That's a once a week access membership that I think is perfect for companies and corporate and people who work from remote and they like working from home and they feel good working from home, but just once a week, I gotta, I gotta get out of the house. I gotta see people. I gotta talk to people. I gotta get dressed, you know? So we're really excited about focusing on that um, post-COVID.
Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds exciting. All of that. And um, we will have all of your contact information and Rise's contact information in the show notes. So we encourage everyone to um, connect with Stacy and follow Rise and, and see what you guys have going on um, and get connected with you. And Stacy, thank you so much for being here. You've just been a, an absolute pleasure and have shared a ton of useful and practical things that we can take with us as we go and build our own social capital. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? No, just thank you. It's always an honor. I'm impressed by you. And, you know, we were talking beforehand, social capital, obviously, is something I'm very passionate about. So I was thrilled to have uh, you reach out. I think you're smart to be doing a podcast about it. And the more of us talking about social capital, the more of us trying to give people access to social capital, the better. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. And again, we look forward to uh, seeing where you go and where Rise goes. And as you take over the country and maybe even the world, uh, we hope to have you back and, and stay connected. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Social Capital Expert. Please visit socialcapitalexpert.com for show notes, additional episodes, and to see who will be visiting us next on the show. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming Social Capital Mixers. These are events where we can connect in person to build social capital. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you join us for the next episode.